Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter, audio visual epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And today you are in for an absolute ripper. God, I had so much fun on today's episode. Um, we chatted with a really good friend of mine, Lindsay Stewart, who uh, is the CEO of a company called Star Dynamic. They specialize in helping Aussies invest in the USA, which is fascinating because I know a lot of people are really interested in this topic because we kind of, I don't know, if you've got any interest in investing, you've probably thought about investing in the US and what's involved in it and why it works and all of that kind of stuff. And this episode really does not disappoint. I personally got so much out of this episode. I thought I had a bit of an idea how it works. I listen to US podcasts and stuff like that. I've known Lindsay for a while. This was such an eye-opener for me and it was massively impactful for my own journey. I felt like I was tripping at points. Like my brain was going in so many different directions. I was thinking, what about this? What about that? And you're going to love it too. I know you will. We talked about, you know, how Lindsay got started investing in the US and why anyone would want to invest in the US versus Australia. We we talked about the similarities and, and the differences between the US and the Australian market. We talked about stuff like the Burr strategy. So buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat, Burr. Uh, we talked about the uh, three strategies that Lindsay helps people with in the US. So buy and holds, buy, fix and holds, and buy, fix and flips. We talked about the key uh, economic drivers to look for in the areas that they invest in. So infrastructure, jobs, and schools, and why that works. Talked about the how the economy is changing over there and what has led to the situation that is that makes it such a good idea to invest in the US for the right type of person. We talked about his mentors, some of who are some of the guys that I look up to the most in the world. And we talked about, this is what you're going to be really interested in, the, the yields, the yields and what you can actually do. Lindsay talked about how he bought a property for $12,500, um, has renovated it uh, and has turned and has basically made... Uh, roughly 100% cash on cash return after the renovation, which is phenomenal. Plus, you talk about how you can get 10 to 12% net yields by investing in $100,000 houses. If that hasn't, if all of that has not got you interested in what we're going to cover in today's episode, then get out of here. I don't know what, I don't know what would because, God, this is so interesting. Like anything, though, these kind of strategies are not without their challenges, which is where Lindsay comes in. Now, on top of the value that you're going to get out of this episode alone, Lindsay has been um, kind enough to want to share his, uh, his, some of his uh, information and, and trainings with the Invest Lab membership. Now, what, is, what we're going to be doing is hosting a, a multi-module uh, training about investing in the US, which is going to be hosted by Lindsay and it's going to help to answer your questions and empower you to be able to do stuff like we talk about in this episode. Now, if you want to be a part of that, if you want to get access to that community and those opportunities amongst many others, then I would suggest that you either right now press pause or maybe after the episode to go and do it. But either way, make it happen. Head to theinvestorlab.com.au forward slash join the community, sign up, get involved, get amongst it and become a more empowered real estate entrepreneur. Now, aside from that, I don't think I have anything left to say. Little, I'm taken aback. I'm taken forward. I'm taken every which way. Well, you know what? We, we even, just on a little side note, we even ventured into global politics and, and whether or not the US is 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 in the dying phases of being an empire. This, if, if you're interested in geopolitics, if you're interested in real estate, if you're interested in making money, if you're interested in living a life 
of freedom, choice, and abundance. This is an episode that you are not going to want to miss. And of course, if this has brought you any value, then please share it with your mom, your dad, your brother, your dog, your goldfish, all of your friends. Stick it all over social media. Give us a like, rate, review, share, comment, subscribe, and do all of this stuff because without you giving us feedback, we don't know what we're doing. And vice versa, if you give us feedback, then we can serve you better. So let us know what you think if this has been of value in any way. Uh, your small actions mean a huge amount to us. So please do make sure you like, rate, review, share, comment, subscribe, and do all of the good stuff. I'm going to quit waffling. Let's get stuck into it. This is, I reckon this is one of our all-time greats. So make sure you check it out and let me know what you think. See you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. And I've got a very special guest with me today. Uh, he's a wonderful man with a wealth of experience. And we're going to be talking about something extremely fascinating to not just me, but I would say pretty much anyone who's ever invested in uh, real estate or ever thought about investing in real estate. And that's talking about investing in the big USA. So my guest today, his name is Lindsay Stewart, and he runs a company called Star Dynamic. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thanks, Goose. Thanks very much for having me. I'm, yeah, glad to be on. Mate, it's my absolute pleasure. Um, I've had the um, I've had the the joy of knowing you for nearly a year, or around about a year now. Uh, I, I actually think you'll find it'll be longer than that now. Um, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I, I reckon it'll be probably coming up to two years soon. Crikey! Um, yeah, Crikey! Yeah. <laughs> so, and 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 we've been um we've been great supporters of each other along the way, and I you know I'm a big fan of what you do and and how you do it, and and your general approach to both business and life and investing, and Thank it's going to be super valuable to to um, get you on the podcast because um, we here at the Investor Lab, our mission is to empower Australia's real estate entrepreneurs, and we are mindful that. And that in order to do that, we need to present loads of different ideas and strategies and tactics and uh, principles and philosophies and everything like that to, to really give people the tools and the, the, in, their, in their tool chest to be able to make the right decisions for them. So I think it's going to be great fun and there's a lot that I want to cover. And, and uh, given the state of the economy and the state of the world and the state of the United States, yeah. there's going to be some, we're going to be interested to see where we go with this. But um. Mate, why don't you? Why don't we start with a little bit about you? Because I know you, but our listeners don't. So, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you actually got started. Because you're obviously an Australian. How did you get started in the US in in investing and why? And tell us a little bit about how you got here. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and, and thank you for the kind words too. Um, yeah, look, um, we uh, and what what you said before is is 100 true. And you know, I I even say now that that our, our mantra and what I what we try to do is 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 help. Um, everyday Aussie investors generate wealth through property. And it just so happens that that I focus on the US market, you focus on the Aussie market. You know, I love the Australian market. We've been investors and developers in the Australian market for more than 15 years. So um, I, I certainly, um, we were we were invested in the Australian market for a long time. I actually stumbled across the US market, and I guess that's the right term. Uh, and, and you and I are both are the same. We do a lot of seminars and 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 training, and wherever I can learn from anybody else who's done something before, I, I certainly do that. Um, we had a lot of our money invested in a um, uh, development in New, in 
uh, southeast Queensland, actually, Toowoomba. Strangely enough, would you believe it's still there and still hasn't finished? But anyhow, and um, this is <laughs> the joys of development that's life. That, that sounds that sounds like a story in and of itself. <laughs> but anyway, um, so and I was looking, you know, I was sort of feeling stuck, and and I, I didn't know what else could I do. The money was tied up there; didn't have any other serviceability. How else am I going to continue this while while the uh, council was fighting out, fighting with us to try and get the the DA approved and all that sort of thing? So. Uh, one of the episodes I went to or the seminars I went to were talking about investing in US tax liens. Now, I had no idea what that was, mm. but at the end of the day, it was underpinned by real estate. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. I wonder what the real estate market's like over there. I was lucky enough. I, I used to work full-time. Uh, I had a, a J-O-B once and I, I worked for Holden here in Australia, General Motors, um, was a logistics manager. So I was heading over to the US in a couple of months after that seminar anyway. Can I ask, where, whereabouts, whereabouts were you working for Holden? Was that in Melbourne or? I was, yeah, based here in Port Melbourne in their head office. Yep, yep. So yep. Um, just at Salmon Street there. Nice. Um, yep. I was their import vehicle logistics manager. So I imported all the vehicles from overseas into the country through the ports and out to the dealerships. Okay, um, so you sort of understood a little bit about uh, international structuring and yep. trading, moving stuff between. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did that for 16 years. I was there a long time and uh, I loved it. You know, I, I, I had no, you know, I loved my job, um, uh, but knew that there was going to, that had to be more. That's why we were doing real estate because, mm. you know, the job's great, but it wasn't going to get us anywhere really. So, you know, so I was lucky enough to be flying to the US and I was going over to Michigan, the headquarters for General Motors. So I took a couple of weeks off and had a bit of a look around and I was fascinated. Um, you know, what I saw was amazing. So then started what, looking at some properties. What, what, what were you fascinated by? What did you see that was amazing? Because like Detroit, Detroit hasn't got, what year was that actually? That was 2012. 2012. Okay, mm. had Detroit crashed at that point? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So the, the the and I use this term a lot. The dichotomy of the city was incredible. So you know, I had a I had a colleague over there that I'd worked pretty closely with on a number of uh, projects and things from for General Motors, and we got quite close. And I was I was spending a bit of time with him while I was over there, and he was showing me around. And he actually is from Wisconsin. He's not actually a a, a native Michigander. They call themselves. But he loved the city and, and he showed me the, the good bits, the bad bits, the ugly bits. And, and, you know, in 2012, there was quite a bit of all of that. Um, some of the areas we were staying in, there's a beautiful, I was staying 10 minutes from a, an area called Birmingham, which literally is an, an, a little English village, um, about 16 mile out of downtown Detroit. It's a, a, a pumping little hub there it was. Um, there was a, we went to dinner at a place called Royal Oak, which was probably similar to um, well, you know, Melbourne, probably similar to, say, St Kilda or maybe Petersham or something like that in Sydney mm. or, or possibly Darlinghurst, something like that. Really yep. hip little area, fantastic. And all this was happening. And then we'd go through some areas where, you know, we'd cross a road and all of a sudden there's cars on their roof on fire and people standing around in the middle of a five-lane highway that, you know, just you've got to go around them in the cars. And literally it was it was as, as stark as that back in 2012. Wow. Um, it was amazing. And, you know, that's one of the things, and I, I will get into it later, but that's where the U.S., the broad spectrum of the U.S. is so much more than Australia that a lot of people don't understand. In Australia, we really only have a couple of classes of property, really, at the end of the day. There's probably a C-class if you go into some rural or regional areas, but beyond that, there's not much else, whereas the U.S. goes right from A, mansions, right down to E, ghettos. And you've got to be really careful over there. You've got to be careful as to where you go, where you travel to. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's as bad nowadays. Um, of course, I haven't been able to go back this year, but um, 
but you know, I think I think a lot of that's improved. And as the years went by, as I kept going back, I would be seeing that the city was really revitalising itself. Mm. And I guess I do a lot. I mean, we work in two or three states, but I still do a lot of work in Michigan. I love the I love the state. Um, I love Why? the city. What do you love about it? Because it sounds like to me, like you were, you know, one foot in Mad Max and one foot in, <laughs> you know, I don't know, Great Gatsby or whatever. So that, that's it. like what people that's in it. people burning cars and standing around in the middle of the highway. What is? What do you? What do you love about it? <laughs> See, and, and don't forget though, this is not this is not just isolated to Detroit, right? There are areas of Chicago exactly the same, right? There's there's areas of of um, uh, Toledo, Ohio, exactly the same. It's 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 certainly not. You could go into New Jersey, and there'll be areas that you certainly shouldn't be in. Um, you know, in, in just out of New York. So, uh, it's it's. I don't know. I, I guess uh, the the city was really. You could see from when you were there that the people were really trying hard to to build it back up. You know, it it was certainly had been on its knees. In fact, probably on its back on the canvas at, at, at one point, and and they on were its, certainly on its roof and on fire. Yeah, yeah, on fire. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So you know, really, I guess it was really um, you could see that the that the people were really had they had hope in their eyes, right? They they wanted to bring the the city back to what it was. Don't forget, in the thirties, forties, and fifties, Detroit was one of the fourth largest cities in the world. I mean, it, it, this place was when the when the car industry was would at, at its peak, and it was pumping. It had it had fifty or sixty theaters. It had you know twenty million people or twenty five million people or something in it. Yeah, it's but that was in the fifties. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so this is, let's hang on that for a second, right? Mm. So in the fifties and sixties, it was one of the world's best cities, mm. right? Had how many people did you say? Oh, I, I think it was like twenty five million or twenty five million. million. Now lots, it's got lots. now it's got two. Okay, yeah, well, that's maybe. a pretty. Yeah. Whatever it is, that's a pretty yeah. steep downward cycle. Absolutely. Have Absolutely. you seen that cycle start to pick back up or not? Uh, not dramatically. I mean, certainly the, the well, okay, let's say this. The, the cycle certainly has come to a stop. I mean, there's not people flocking out of the towns or the cities anymore that they used to have. Well, and maybe because there's nowhere to flock to, right? Well, <laughs> I don't know. Um, oh, look, no, I, I think it's, it's certainly stabilised. I mean, if you were to look at um, if you were to look at the 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 statistics of Detroit as a city, uh, I still think at the moment their population is in negative growth, and I still think they're they're declining by 0.5 percent a year or something along those lines. Um, now, this is now more due to essentially uh, you're in a very cold place, right? It, it's been six months of the year under winter. Um, as people sort of get to a point where they're on their feet, they move to the coastal markets. That's generally where a lot of people want to go. Um, or they'll go to Florida or they'll go wherever it's warm. You know, a lot of people uh, will do that. Um, Detroit and, and Michigan and Wisconsin and Ohio and, and most of those sort of states, you're there because you're either, it, you, it, it's your home, so you stay, or you're there because you have to be there because you work. As soon as you have a choice, they'll go to LA or they'll go to New York or they'll go to Florida or they'll go to, you know, um, that, those sort of places, Seattle, Boston, Washington, you know, where it's all happening, where it's all hit. So a lot of the Midwest is a very flat market. But, but you know, what we look at and, and, and what we teach a lot of our, our students and clients is, and actually I think that you've touched on this and, and I think you were spot on when you said this, looking at buying real estate and trying to find markets that are hot and are growing and, and you're going to tr- you know hold on to it for long periods of time, of course you're going to get some wealth from real estate. But at the end of the day, you want to be careful to be not speculating. You want to be into investing, right? Yeah. And, and 
you know, what we, what we show people is manufactured growth strategies, uh, exactly the same as you do here in Australia. Mm. Uh, then you're in control, right? We buy a house for X, we do it up, it's worth Y. Now, if the market's booming, then unfortunately you're going to buy it for X plus 20%, but you can sell it for X plus 20%, but your gap's the same. If the market's in recession like it's rolling into now, then we're buying them at X minus 20% and selling them at Y minus 20%, but the gap is still the same. So with that manufactured growth, you are now in control. If you don't make money, it's because you bought the wrong house, not because the market went down on you or the exchange rates turned on you or, you know what I mean? You can't blame the external forces. It's you in control. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. You also don't want to be buying in a, um, you know, like you don't want to be buying in an area where the price is going to go down as, like if you, significantly if you let, no yeah totally so if, no, you, if, right. if you're going to add value if you let's say you're going to add do a renovation or whatever to manufacture equity you don't want to manufacture it only to get it back to the price that you paid for it well maybe not but again see now now here's where what i'm probably going to do is ask you to to, to switch hats for a minute right so what we need yeah. to do is take our aussie investors hat off okay oh, okay yep. and the only reason i say that is because at the end of the day and what we show people if you want growth and you want stability and you want to buy a house, you want to hang on to it for a long, long period of time and you want the you want it to, to grow in, in, in value and to add equity for you, you are sitting right this minute in the best market in the world, right? There is no doubt whatsoever the Australian market is the best one to be in for growth. We have good access to conventional lending, to leverage. You get growth on the leverage, win-win, right? Absolutely. Yeah, agreed. The US market, if you wanted to do that, you need to be in San Francisco, Seattle, um, New York, Miami, Orlando, and it's going to cost you six or seven hundred thousand US dollars, the same as it would here. You've got no access to lending; you can't get leverage, right? So you need. Wait, the cash. What do you mean, no access to le- lending? Conventional, as a foreign investor, you won't be able to access conventional lending because got you it. won't have a credit rating. Yeah. Now there is private equity, but it can be very expensive, and yeah. those values, it's probably unrealistic. So, what you look for, though, now, it, and and you know, in the Midwest of the US. It is in purely cash flow, right? It, it's it's purely a cash flow market. We can buy properties for a hundred thousand dollars Aussie, you know, six seventy thousand US dollars, um, that are going to be giving you 10, 12, 15 percent return year on year cash flow. In five or six years' time, if the house starts, you know, needing work and needing, you know, I sell it and buy another one. There's no stamp duties. I sort of think of it as a little bit of a car mentality right if it starts to break down on you sell it and buy yourself a new one okay rather than the same as what you do here in australia okay for sure so okay just what kind of yields are you getting again there did you say if you can't get 10 percent net you've you're in the wrong area you need to net the properties need to be at least 10 percent net or greater um often you could probably get 12 to 15 percent net 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 yeah but see don't forget you're talking um low numbers right you're buying these properties for 100 100k They'll give you about ten to twelve thousand dollars a year in your pocket as a cash flow basis. Now, again, even here in Australia, buying one property is not going to generate you a lot of wealth. But if you can buy ten of those over the next five years, right, that could be eighty to one hundred thousand dollar income for you from cash flow. If in the next five or ten years those properties are still worth what you paid for them, or even five percent less than what you paid for them, it doesn't matter, right? Because they're they're giving you that cash flow every single year. So you're buying with cash, right? Yep. Okay, so you're buying with cash. So you're using no leverage. So you take a hundred grand, you whack it in a, an asset, and it's yep. going to produce ten to twelve percent net. What's what's the gross? What is the gross yield on that? Do, do you know? 18, 18, 19. What? Yeah. It, because obviously, what it sounds to me like you're investing in 
uh, I mean, I just say it bluntly, pretty poor markets, like in, in a sense, right? You know, like they're not, there's not a lot of growth. There's not a lot of stimulus. The property prices are quite cheap. Um, what are the, what's the risk that rental prices will go down? What is the risk that the economy might degrade further and, you know, what seems like a good deal now in five years, what if no one's there? What if it's turned into a ghost town? Like, how, does, how do you manage that? risk well, but i mean what you'll find is in a boom market if, if the market in in a particular area is doing really well and doing strongly what you'll find is house prices are rising mm. you'll find that this in that particular case sometimes you'll find rental demands will drop away because what will happen is people are, are, are got a little bit more money they're earning more money the market's doing well they'll try and get into and buy themselves a property okay um but so the properties you've got in those markets are now starting to appreciate in value, right? The property prices are rising for you. So you're starting to build equity in those properties. If you go down into a recessive market or, or a recession or a depression or anything like that, what happens is, of course, your property prices start to drop. People start to get into trouble. They're going to have to sell homes. But at the end of the day, Goose, people have got to live somewhere, right? So while ever you have people and there's, you know, 250 million people in the US or I don't know if there's more than that now. I think it's way more than that, isn't I, it? I think it could even be up to maybe 300 million now, I think. I think it's like closer that. to 400 million. Oh, really? There you go. Yeah. Okay. So that goes to show I'm not even up with how many people in the States in general. But, <laughs> um, you know, that they've got to live, right? They've got to live somewhere. And if they can't own a home, they have to rent. So we generally find in the Midwest areas, even though the markets are quite flat, there's not a lot of growth, we do find that the rental markets are quite strong. And this is this is it. You can buy a house, and, and I'm just using these numbers as round numbers for you. Yeah, of course, yep. But you buy a house for $100,000, You and I'll, I'll just, I'm just using converted numbers, it'll probably give you around about $1,200 to $1,400 a month rent. That's what you'll be able to get as a rental return um, gross. Then you've got to take out property management fees, insurances, you know, um, some costs, uh, put put aside some um, maintenance costs, like you would here, and that'll give you around about that thousand to eight or nine hundred dollars a month net. Um, you know that, and that's essentially what you're looking at. And now, if the if the markets are going down and the rental demand gets stronger, well, then you might be able to get an extra fifty bucks a month or something like that for the property. But it's not going to change dramatically in that particular case. And now the other thing is, you know, this this hundred thousand dollar house. Let's say it's worth a hundred grand. Hundred grand, you've it's probably only cost you seventy because you bought it for thirty or forty and spent twenty or thirty on it to get it up into good condition. So you've got yourself some equity in that property. Okay, Hang on, so, slow down, slow down. Hundred thousand dollar property, or is it a forty thousand, fifty thousand dollar property? Well, what we what we would normally show is a, a strategy where you can go and buy the properties for say forty or fifty thousand dollars. You're going to spend twenty or thirty thousand dollars on it as a renovation cost to bring it back up to good condition. So we look at distressed homes. Mm-hmm. We do them back up, get them back up into good condition, get them tenanted, get them cash flowing. So then you've got a property that's cost you seventy or eighty thousand worth a hundred, earning you that ten to twelve percent net every year. Yeah, and that th- way you've got yourself a buffer in your equity. Um, it's earning you good money. Down the track, if ever you need to sell it, you can still make a little bit of profit on that property. The, the value of the property isn't going to change dramatically over the next few years. It's going to go, it, it, I mean, look, it, all properties are a roller coaster to some degree. It's going to go up, it's going to go down as the years go by. But, as, but in the Midwest, your peaks and troughs are significantly lower, 
right? So you don't get 10, 12% um, growth in a year. You don't get 8, 9% drop in a year. It's a couple of percent up, a couple of percent down. Mm. Um, now, they, all property prices go up as you, you know, over year over year, I mean, even in the US. But you look at the median property price in the US in 2016 was, was $216,000. In twenty at the end um, start of twenty nineteen, it was two hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Mm. Right, so it's still significantly lower than Australia by, by oh, a factor of yeah, a factor of four or five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the growth. It's a couple of things I want to clarify. So, the Ameri- America doesn't have four hundred million people. I just looked it up. It's about three hundred twenty eight million. Just to I clarify, thought that it might me. have been just over three hundred. <laughs> yeah, <that's> okay, <laughs> okay four hundred million. I was overcooking it a little bit. Three hundred twenty eight million. Um, and yeah, my, as, as I understand it, sort of the average growth rate, like market growth rate, like capital growth appreciation rate, you'd expect in the Midwest is around 2 to 3% per annum. Is that right? Pretty much tops. Yeah. Which is, yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's on the top end. So 1% yeah. to 2% is probably more realistic. 2, 2% yeah. yeah 2%. Correct. Okay. Which is interesting because even in Australia, if you're to invest in high yield markets, now I'm not suggesting people do this because I don't think the fundamentals are there and I don't know. Uh, what it's like in the US, that's your area, Lindsay. But you can get to places in, in, in Australia that have got, I don't know, let's say 10 to 14% gross yield, to be fair, mm-hmm. um, where, the, where the capital growth rate is probably going to be about 2% as well. So I want to come back to that because I'm wondering if this is not a strategy that you can just do in Australia, but we'll come back to that. Mm-hmm. Now, what it sounds like to me is, uh, you were going to be familiar with this term, but um, the, the Burr strategy, B R R R. Buy, refurbish, rent, repeat. Is that refinance? Mr. Oh, R. But yeah, that's it. <laughs> I missed an R. Buy, buy, yeah. refinance. Uh, sorry, you say you say buy, refurbish. Do you buy a house? Yeah. You renovate or rehab, yeah. as they call it in the states. Yeah. You rent it, you refinance, and you repeat. Okay. And that's the Burr strategy. Yep. Correct. Uh, and is that what you specialize in? Is that what this is? Um. So I, Specialize is probably not a good term, but it's certainly one of the strategies that we that we show people are possible. So we have yeah. there's there's three or four core strategies that we look at. I mean, first of all, of course, you've got your good old buy and hold, where you buy a house, you rent it, and hang on to it, and you just earn rental income. Okay, very easy, very straightforward. There's five or six key points you need to make sure if you're going to buy a house like that, because that's essentially what I would be calling you buying a retail property. Okay, mm. that's your buy and hold. The second strategy that that I that we push a little more because I think this is now where you can start to generate some better wealth is what we call buy fix and hold. So you're buying a property, you're doing it up, then you rent it out and hang on to the property. All right. Yep. And then the last one, of course, which a lot, which you know, I guess if a lot of people watch a lot of television shows, is what we call buy fix and flip. So it's a fix and you're buying a house, you're doing it up, and then you're selling it, and you're just earning that equity chunk that you know, like a chunk deal um, in between. Now, all three of those are great, but at the end of the day, and I say this exactly the same here in Australia, and, and, and I think you and I are certainly on the same page in as much as our mission here is to show people that the way we've been taught to invest in property in the past doesn't work. Now, I don't know whether it ever did. Maybe it did. Maybe as far as my dad's day went, it was a great way to do it. But in this day and age, it doesn't work because if, if, if more than 70% of the investors in Australia only ever have one property and it never makes them a cent, then how can that possibly be the right way to do it? And it's the same here. One property, you buy, fix and hold, and if that's the only property you can afford to buy and you, you can't afford to get another one, isn't really going to generate you any wealth. 
So then what we do is we show, right, you can buy and hold, you can buy fix and hold, you can fix and flip, but you need to be able to put together a strategy where you can repeat that over yes. and over again. So in the next three to five years in the US, and look, in Australia, it's the same. You probably just have to lengthen the timeframes because of the cost. But we show people how in the next three to five years, you can put together a strategy to buy five to 10 investment properties. Now you're talking about building wealth, right? And that's done by one or two ways. We have what we call the cash generation strategy, whereby you buy a house, you do it up, you sell it, you make a profit. Right, so let's just arguably say you buy a house, you do it up, you sell it, you make 20K profit. You repeat that and you repeat that. You could do two to three of those in a year. You take your $20,000 profit from each one, that's 60 grand, you buy yourself a rental. You've still got your capital. Year two, you go again. Right, you repeat that. By the end of year two, you buy yourself a second rental. Now, that's an active strategy, but there's, but there's, there's, no mortgages, no interest, no loans. You're 100% owning the properties, mm. and away you go. The other, and th and that's a that's there's a lower risk, I guess, profile there because you don't have a loan, you don't have any mortgage. I mean, you know, what could, what's the worst that can happen if it burns down? You've got insurance. If you lose a tenant, you get another one. You could also argue, Lindsay, that it's a higher risk because you don't have any mortgage and you're putting all of your cash into a project. And if it goes real bad and it does get burned down, you might lose it all. You could argue that too, to be fair. But you've got insurance though. True. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Right? I mean, you get insurance, and and when you say all of your cash, it's it's still a, it's a hundred k, right? It's no it's no more than you would have to put it as a deposit on a property here with to get the leverage. I think where the risk comes in is you buy and and you know you and I both know three or four years ago you put you know two hundred thousand dollars down on an apartment in Docklands, right? You got a four or five hundred thousand dollar mortgage. You can't get a tenant in. You know, there's sixty percent vacancy rate in some of those apartment buildings. Um, that mortgage, you know, you've got to pay two or $3,000 a month on that mortgage. You can't get to tenant. The property prices have dropped 15% in the last two or three years. That's what I call risk. Uh, yeah, yeah. Tell right? me about it. I actually uh, just read an article about how Brisbane's uh, apartment market is going to be oversupplied. Basically, it said for the next 12 months, but it implied for the next about three to five years. That's right. Exactly. It's so, like, whoa. You know, now- rough. A lot of these, and I, I guess we're, we're on a tangent now, but a lot of these investors that have bought that were on a knife's edge already, right? They could only barely afford that property. Yep. And then all of a sudden now, you know, that that is massive risk and, and they can't get out of it. They can't sell it. They're going to lose a chunk of money if they try to sell the property, you know? So the risk, I guess, is relevant, is relative. But, but then going on the next step is what we call the burst strategy, right? Where yep. essentially you're doing the same. The difference is you're now hanging on to the properties. So you buy them you renovate them, you rent them. And what you do is you refinance using private equity, in our case as a foreign investor, to get your funds back out so then you can go again. And that's so that now what you're doing is you're now accumulating properties a little faster, but of course you're now no longer getting a 10, 12% net rental return because you've got a mortgage to pay on that property as well. You're probably getting four to 5%. Got okay. it. So yeah. So, so, the, so the net, the net, the the because when you say when you say ten to twelve percent net, it's like what? But that's based on having no no. Funds. Correct. That's you own the property outright. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So if I were to go buy a if I were to go to Broken Hill right now in Australia and go buy a fourteen percent yielding hundred thousand dollar property, and I bought it in cash, I'd probably have ten to twelve percent net. Absolutely. I mean, the, the the process is not unique to the US. It's just mm. it's just unique in as much as you need to find somewhere where the properties are affordable, mm. and then therefore the rental return. Because as you know, 
rental return or the rental yield on a property is not actually hinged on how much the property costs. It is completely a supply and demand case in the rental market, right? If you have a lot of supply of rentals and not much of a demand, then rental prices are going to drop. doesn't matter how much the house costs, right? And it's the same in Broken Hill. I guess you've got to be a little careful in Broken Hill. The difference with Broken Hill and maybe why it makes it harder is that the, 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 support, the demand for rentals in Broken Hill is going to be pretty low. Right, whereas the demand for rentals in somewhere like Detroit, it's still got two and a half million people in it. Okay, um, or you go to Chicago, right? I mean, I don't know. There'd be there'd be seven or eight million people in Chicago, or you go to Toledo, there'd be two and a half million, two million people in Toledo. There's a these are still large cities. But yeah, but if there was once twenty odd million people in a city and now there's only two, surely there's an oversupply of accommodation options. Like but there's a oh, there's a large supply of properties that are vacant, absolutely. But the majority of these properties are not in livable condition. Hence, where the the the, the opportunity is to be able to buy these properties distressed cheap and do them up and get them livable. There's why, not an oversupply of of properties that are that are able to be lived in. Why is that? Like, okay, let's Ooh. just say. Let's just say there was a million properties in a city and then everyone left. Everyone went, no, I don't want to live here anymore. Mm-hmm. Why, why, why? I just, I can't understand why there are so many vacant properties that are not livable. Why aren't people renting them out? Why, why aren't the people who live in these places, if they go, I don't want to live in Detroit anymore, I'm going to move to Florida, what do they do? What, do they just leave the house there to go into ruin? Like, does it become a squat? Like, why, what is the... Why is that the case? Why is it the case that that is what the situation is? So, and look, I can only talk in modern day because that's the only time I've been involved in the market. Yep. But from the, from the GFC, 24 million homes went into foreclosure between 07 and 2010, right, in the US. And that is, that is one house for every Aussie, <laughs> okay? That is, an, that is an insane amount. Now, beyond that, there would have been a vast number of properties or people that were what they call underwater. So all of a sudden now, because the property price prices at the GFC plummeted so fast, that now they owe more on their house than the house is worth. So you can't sell because they can't pay out the mortgage, right? Um, that They would literally just go bankrupt. So in, there is a lot of cases where people literally just simply put their keys in the mailbox and walked away because they've got there's no equity in the house. There's nothing for them. They can't sell it. They can't get any money out of it. If they owe more than it's worth. And when I say more than it's worth, they owe probably two hundred and fifty thousand on a mortgage on a property that's now worth one fifty. Significant gaps, right? So a lot of these people literally did up and walk away from these properties. Now there are right even even right at the moment, and I'm just trying to remember. I, I I'm always careful quoting stats because you want to make sure that you get it right. I don't know how long. I can't remember how long ago this stat was. But there certainly, within the last couple of years, was more than sixty thousand vacant homes in Detroit alone. Right now, how, that, how can a property market grow if there are sixty thousand vacant homes? Like, if there's that volume of stock on the market, no, 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 they're not on the market. They're, these properties are not for sale. They're not in a condition that you can move into them. They they are just abandoned homes. Right, so they're they're not affecting the property market as such. It's what the main effect on the property market is. If you're walking down a street and every third house is vacant, right, then of course the 
the street, the quality of that neighbourhood drops because you've got so many vacant homes, right? So in, in neighbourhoods in Detroit where you are literally walking down the street and you're seeing that house over there is boarded up and that one over there is boarded up and this one down here is boarded up, and you do see that, right? This is this is everyday a street in, in an everyday Midwest town. Um, those sort of streets are the ones you want to try to avoid, right? Because the, the value of those properties is never going to be great until all of those houses are in good condition. Let's go buy them all. Well, you can, right? And and look, I see you're smirking. You're, it's not. I'm smirking because I'm like, we just go buy them all. Like if there's do, ten and right? nobody wants them, they're basically free. Why would you even pay a hundred grand? Like I don't understand. Like no, what, no, am no. I, what am I missing here? Why okay. would you even pay a hundred grand? Why wouldn't you just go, like, go find the keys? Like why aren't they just yours? <laughs> Well, you're you're right, and and you don't pay hundred hundred grand for them. <laughs> they're the ones that you've finished, and that they're in really good condition, and they're on that good street that doesn't have boarded houses in it, right? Um, look, and and you 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 what you're saying is spot on, and and this is you know what I I personally love to do this. I have two or three neighbourhoods, particularly inside the the city of Detroit, that I target, and I literally have bought three to four houses in the same street. And I pay, there was one, um, there's one, okay, here's an example. There's a property I bought in, in an area, a uh, good upcoming area called Eight Mile Wyoming in, in Detroit. I paid $12,500 for the house. It cost me $28,000 to renovate the property. I finished this in about October last year. Um, I've had the property valued at $85,000. It's been tentative. Sorry, how much did you buy the house for? Twelve thousand five hundred US dollars. Twelve thousand five hundred US dollars. US dollars. And you spent how much on fixing it? Twenty-eight thousand seven hundred and fifty, including a change order. Yeah, it's about forty grand. Yeah, it got. I had it appraised um, just before COVID, and then the lenders shut shop. But just before COVID, it was appraised at eighty-five thousand dollars. So I can pull sixty-five percent of that out. So I can get a 65% LVR as a foreign investor. So they'll give me 65% of the value of that property out, and then that's my refinance, and I can go and buy another house. And that one is that one's giving me about 12.5%, um, nearly 13% uh, net return. So it'll cost me about 7% on the interest. So I'll still make about 5% positive on that property. So if I had 125 grand, I could go buy 10 houses. You could go buy 10 houses, yeah, because... That's crazy. Yeah. But these houses are in really poor condition. They need a lot of work. Um, you know, you, there's, it's not as quite as simple as that, right? There's a few no, of little, course not. Yeah, of course yeah. not. Yeah, it, doesn't, it does sound like... It definitely sounds like you could very easily get it wrong. And you can, yeah. And that's the... And look, that's, that's I guess, why when I started Startonomics, so we were investing in 2012. I started when I, when I started, when I found out that I didn't start Startonomic until 2016, where we started helping other, other investors. And that was just because we saw so many investors from Australia keen on the market, but would, were getting it wrong. Okay. I want to, I want to ask you a very pointed question. Then I want to get, and then I want to circle back to how, how, how you actually help people do that. Cause there's obviously going to be some yeah. complexities in the U S to kind of Australia. Do you think this is? I just want your opinion. Yep. Do you think that we're what we are witnessing right now in the US is the collapse of an empire, and do you think it's all about to go pear shaped in the US? Uh, no. Why? No. So there's two aspects, I guess, to to what's been happening in the US at the moment. The first and the foremost, of course, is the pandemic that the world has been facing, and we've all been, you know, facing this. 
the issue with the US and the fabric of their society is very different from Australia. As much as we always think that we're very similar to the US, we are surprisingly not to a lot of degrees. In the case of the US, I mean, here we are in Australia, we're buying our toilet paper. In the US, they were buying our guns, right? As an example, they had to shut down, um, uh, wet, you know, uh, gun shops because people were literally stockpiling weapons. Um, whereas here in Australia, we, you know, we, we're trying to buy rice and toilet paper. So it's just the mindset or the fabric of the society in the US is very different. They don't take well to being locked up. They don't take well to being told what to do, right? It's not, it's not something, they're a very consumerism society. So you shut down basically trade where they can't buy stuff anymore they can't they can't do anything they can't go out you have the the leadership or the 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 bosses telling them no you've got to stay home this will only last for so long to be honest with you i think um and and look i i I was just watching a, a video just literally before this podcast um, by one of my mentors in the US, I've met a number of times and was lucky enough to spend a few, uh, a fair bit of time with him when I've been over there in the last couple of trips, um, Dean Graciosi. And he was saying that, you so, know... Sorry, hang on. Is he one of your mentors? Yeah, he is. Yeah, luckily I, I was able to... I met him about three or four years ago at a seminar and he was fascinated by what I was doing, the fact that I was here in a real estate seminar, but I was from Australia. Um, so he invited me back um, and we, yeah, we chatted for uh, hours and then um, I joined one of his um, small coaching mentorship groups and um, into his place in Arizona and yeah, yeah. That's yeah. fascinating. Um, an amazing he's, guy. He's an he's amazing honestly guy. honestly one of my, he's one of my favourite kind of, uh, I guess, guys that I look up to. I think he's He's an amazing and in, life, in real life he is exactly the same. He is just He's amazing, and he's so passionate about what he does. He's just, he's just an incredible guy to spend time with. He really is. But you know, he was just saying this morning that you know you can look at 2020 as a blessing or a curse. But you know, what was the one thing he said that everyone was asking for at last year, and that was time. And and what what did this pandemic give us? But it gave us time, right? And then of course, what the the George Floyd thing. All of a sudden, you have a a a spark or an action happened that people can now no longer look away, right? They can't say, oh, we'll leave that to someone else to fix now because all of a sudden that's it, right? We're all sitting at home. We're all waiting for the shops to open again. And then something like that happens. We now are forced to focus on it and it means that something now must be done. Mm. And and that's not a bad thing. In, now, yes, looting and rioting and t- burning down shops, that's a bad thing, right? I mean, at the end of the day, that's, that's people not in a good frame of mind because they've been locked up for two months um you know that that is certainly not good but but the reaction that this that this has given and this the you know the the whole um cause that's come from this and what we probably may now see is actual change right which is a good thing it was simply a spark in a tinderbox that was bound to happen and that just happened to be the spark already though you you'll see now that this is starting to to reside and and the you know, cities are starting to get back to normal. Um, most cities are reopening. They, they can't hold closed for too much longer. It's it's not something that they're going to be able to do. So yep. um, now yeah, their cases are not that, you know, they're, they're certainly not in control of COVID over there. There's still a lot of cases coming through. But but what's worse for them, the, the commercial and economic impact would be worse for the fabric of the US than the health impact of the, of this virus. Yeah, which doesn't sound like a great trade-off. It's like every, either everyone dies or everyone goes broke. Maybe, but I and, and you know, I guess we're probably not here to talk the pandemic. But but 
the truth of it is, though, Goose, it's not that. I mean, if this was Ebola or something, then then they'd have a real decision to make. But it's not. You know, the truth is that the the, the mortality rate is very low in most cases. Yeah. Um, and it's not. You know, it, it it's 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 a little worse than a than a you know than influenza B, for instance. Now, so that's not great. And and in a lot of cases, and you know, even here in Australia, we're now at the point where we've got to decide, right? Do we do we open up? You know, and just and just release that. And then what we do is we start protecting those people that are vulnerable, right? And that's that can be a strategy, right? That doesn't it, it, that the strategy here can be, and in the US that's exactly what they'll end up doing. They'll they'll open up and say, look, we have to get that business as usual, mm. but let's start putting in place ways to protect those that are going to be vulnerable to this, rather than locking everyone away saying you just can't go out, you can't do anything. You know, and and that's what I think they're going to end up having to do now. To, to answer your previous question, is this the end of an empire? Possibly, right? The US has been the, the number one in the world forever and a lot of what we are seeing now here in Australia, this fight between the US and China, is simply because China has grown so big now that they are knocking on the door of the number one position and the US doesn't like that. Now, who's going to take over i can't that i don't know and the second thing is is it going to happen in the next year or two absolutely not this is going to be a long-term play that in maybe our lifetime or probably our kids lifetime we will see change but not in the next few years it's not something that's going to happen that quickly you know the, the, why, the, i don't know i mean you could argue that that we're starting to see signs of it already so but it, it's it's signs of the struggle becoming becoming real yeah yeah, and it's only now because it's come to a head where, you know, the US were, and I use the term arrogant enough to think that, of course, they're number one, they'll always be number one. Now they're actually starting to realise that, hang on, this is not going to be always the case. Now, they may pull themselves together and stay number one, right? They, they, they don't have to de denigrate themselves. There's a chart, and I, I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll send it to you, um, that shows you the... Uh, empires of the world and and who and all of them had their cycles right the roman empire yeah, the, sure. the english the the english empire um the 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 persians right they all had their cycles throughout the history the u.s happens to be on top at the moment but i'll tell you what china has this huge rise china i've been saying this for about 10 years china is going to be the only empire that has risen twice ever in history that's and at the moment, if if they beat, if they do exceed the US, you are absolutely right. They, the they will. They will over. They will over the long term. They will. I think they will over the long term. Maybe not in the next five, ten years, whatever. I think they will over the long term. I think it's for me. I, I think it's. I think it's it's uh, facts, inevitable. not theory. I think it's mm. inevitable, and I, they will. I, I honestly, I've been saying this since I was like about twenty years old. I'm like China will be the only empire that has risen twice in the history of humankind. And it's because they do stuff like plan in 2,000-year cycles. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's exactly. like it's kind of hard to beat that level <laughs> of strategy. Most of us don't plan what we're doing later in the day and these guys right. are thinking 2,000 years ahead. They're it's very like, methodical about that too, aren't they? They are. You know, and I'm like, I'm like right. oh, sweet. Look, I, I'm, I'm bipartisan. I don't mind. I don't mind. Like, I, I'm like, cool, sweet. I mean, I, I, I whatever whatever happens, whatever changes, it's just move with change and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm full of, love and admiration for all people from all places so for me i just find it very fascinating i'm no i'm no I'm biased either way what i'd love to know is just circling back to investing though mm -hmm. a little bit stepping away from global politics and economy it's circling back to to investing in the us how does it actually work for an aussie going over there like financially like like mechanically do, do i do i 
jump on a plane, go buy property? Um, how does it work? Can I bring money back? These kind of yields that I get, where does that go? Do I, do, do I have to, does it come into my Australian bank account? How does it work? A good question. I mean, look, it, it's it's fairly complex question to answer simply, but look, I mean, I suppose you certainly could jump on a plane and run over there and, and do that if you wanted to. You you, do, you certainly don't have to, and, and I guess that's what we, we try and help show investors is you don't have to be there, but if you're not there, you certainly need to find good people on the ground, right? I mean, like anywhere, you've got to, if, even if you're in based in Sydney and you want to invest in Perth, you're going to need to find some good people in Perth, good agents, Good buyers agents, you know, good good people who can help find you those deals that know the markets, that know the suburbs, that know the neighbourhoods, that can help you invest in Perth. Unless you want to get on a plane and go over there, right? Mm. At, at the end of the day, and it's the same in the US. You need to be able to find people who can who can um, help support you and give you some local knowledge on the ground. Provided you set that up, um, you can certainly do that from your lounge room. Okay, but but there is some keys to follow. You want to make sure you find good people. You want to be able to research the suburbs. You do want to find good suburbs. Um, you know, as as I guess we were talking about before, even in a, a flat market like we see in the US, there's still a there's still a neighbourhood by neighbourhood you know growth. So we look for areas of of infrastructure growth. We look for um, schools and universities, right? Because again, the US employment opportunities. The US is such a highly capitalist society that to them the job is everything. If you don't have a job, you don't have healthcare, you don't have dental, you're in a lot of trouble. So the job is number one. So you got you want to find places. I, I say infrastructure growth is the first thing to look for because if the city or the city council, for instance, if Sydney City Council is spending a bazillion dollars in a, in Manly, yeah. then you would have to assume they know what they're doing and that there's going to be some Agreed. growth in Manly right now. I mean, Manly is probably not a good example because that's gone nuts. But um, in, in and in the US is the same. If the council or they call them the city over there, um, is spending money in a particular neighbourhood, then they've done their background checks and they know where the growth is coming or, or where they want it. And if they want it there, it'll come. So infrastructure growth is the first thing. Where are the shopping centres going up, the hospitals, the redevelopment of the areas, the, the bridges, the roads? Second is, is employment opportunities. Where can people get work? Where can they work in that, in that region so they don't have to travel a great distance? And third is schools and universities because, again, People want to send their kids to good schools and good universities so they can get a good job. Um, but also education sector is one of the largest employers in the US. Okay, so, you know, and then hospitals are in there as well. So you want to look for areas that have got these these little niches, I guess. So you're still looking, you're still trying to use your, your standard, you know, grid variance analysis tools to try and find neighbourhoods or zip codes or whatever you want to call it that have growth, even in a flat market. Now, when I say growth, as you said before, it could be two and a half to three percent. But but you you do you don't certainly want an area where people are leaving in flocks, right? You don't want to see five to ten percent de, you know decrease in values on properties no. because that'll eat up any anything that you've got in the property, in, and eventually the property will be relatively worthless. And there are areas in the US that are like that, right? We were talking about class of properties. You know, C class in the US is, is is okay, right? This is a working class area. Um, you know, probably not areas that we would probably look at and say, "Yeah, I'd like to live here." But but you know, we've we've been tainted by the fact that we have such a beautiful country and we have got such a, a mm. the gap between the haves and the have-nots in the US is so significantly higher. There's a lot of people that live paycheck to paycheck in the US. You know, nearly thirty live paycheck to paycheck here in Australia too. 
That's true, but you know, nearly thirty percent of the U.S. Uh, citizens don't have a bank account, so that they, they, they you know, they get they get paid by check, and they literally still do. It's called a paycheck, and they get a paycheck, and then there's check cashing stores everywhere in the U.S. Um, they go in there, they check, they cash their check, they spend all their money, and then they wait till next month to get their next check. And that that is this is this is a large percentage of the population of the U.S. are living like that. What thirty percent? Thirty percent. That is. It's nuts. It's nuts. You know now, um, you know, and these are C-class working class suburbs where they're they're okay. They're, they're good to uh, to operate in. Would you live in it? I don't know. Me personally, probably not. But it, but it's not unsafe or any more than anything else. I mean, you have got to understand the crime rate in the U.S. is higher than here because again, it's got what more than. 15 times our population. Because people wipe their bum with guns by the sound of it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Just about, yeah. So, you know, I mean, you do need to find these little niche areas. You do need help to do that, right? Um, it, look, it, it's all about support. I, I always believe that it's always about support, even here in Australia. If you, you can go out and you can go and try and find yourself a property, you can buy it and you're done, right? There's, there's no need... For, for you, there's no need for me to help them. We don't, they don't need us, right? They can go out and they can do it themselves. Anyone can go, go to realestate.com and go buy a house right now. Anyone can go buy a house. There's no magic to it. Just go and pay some so, money and buy a house. It's like buying anything. So all I've got to do now is I just tell you that it, instead of that, it's called Zillow.com and you just pick one and buy it, right? You can do that. No problem. But that is a little bit of speculation because how do you know the area was good? How do you know the house was good? How do you know it was what they said it was? How do you know it actually was tenanted, right? I mean. This is where you need the support from somebody who has either done it or, or, or knows the area and can say, right, no, 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 don't look in that area. That area is a, a D-class suburb and decreasing and there's a lot of crime rate and it's really bad. Let's come and have a look over here and let's look for some of these jobs. Here's a new school that's being built. Here's a hospital that's just opened. Here's a factory that's opening mm. up, right? These are the areas you want to look at. These are the suburbs you want to look at and look at those and then we can guide and, and support. And, you know, that, that's exactly the, what I would suggest. If you're looking at investing in a market you don't know, you need to just get help and support from those that know the market. 100%. It's the same story here. That's why, exactly that's why, we, why yeah. and how we help people. Precisely. Um, they don't have the time or the knowledge. That's actually a good little segue, though, because, you know, I've been talking offline and, and you have um, graciously offered to do some training inside our membership site. Yeah, I'd love to, to help people understand how to invest in the US. Yep. yep. So we're going to have a multiple part training series that Lindsay is going to host inside the Investor Lab um, membership, uh, all about investing in the US and how to do it and all of that kind of stuff. Now, if you want to be able to get access to that and be a part of that experience and tap into Lindsay's massive deep wealth of knowledge about you. I, I, honestly, I've found this conversation to be so fascinating. I, it's it's opened up stuff for me that I had no idea about the US, to be honest. Uh, I've found it really exciting and I'm, I'm personally looking forward to the training because I'm, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, what? Let's get some cash and go to the States. But if you want to be a part of that experience and get the benefits of that, then head to theinvestorlab.com.au forward slash join the community so you can get access to that. Um, Lindsay, I want to before we wrap up. I just want to ask you something. Like everyone's got a motivation in life, and everyone's got a got a journey and a reason for what they're doing. You must have your own too. What is what is your purpose? Like, what are you doing all of this for? Why, like, why is this important to you? How do you define success? What's it all about for Lindsay? For Lindsay, you no, know, not. In, I'll answer your questions in a reverse order. De- definition of success for me, I believe, is is what is choices. 
And I think really, you know, people talk about financial freedom or they talk about success or they or they want, you know, wealth. But a lot of these are sort of fluffy terms. You know, what is financial freedom really at the end of the day? But I think what it is is choices, right? And I think that's what we all really are all wanting. I think we just want the choice to be able to say, um, you know, yes, I want to work here and, and I'll do that. Or, look, I'm, I've finished that. I, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to go and do something else. And they have the ability to just do it. Or they say, look, I don't want to live here anymore. I want to go and live over there. And you can just go and do it, right? I mean, I mean, I, I, I think you guys are, are amazing the way, you know, you, you literally have just, you know, from, from sort of west side Melbourne, you've decided, no, that's it. I'm off. We're off to Sydney and, you, and to, to amazing areas of Sydney. And that's the choices that you're, you're able to get yourself into those positions where you can make that decision and you can say, yep, let's go and let's do that. You know, if we decide next week, they open up the, let's just pretend, right, that we can travel and they open up the borders and we go, you know, what the hell, I just want to spend three months in Europe, let's go. And you go, right? That's the choice. So I think for me personally it's all about choice. But I I think, and I think it's probably, and I'm, I'm now guessing, but I think for yourself and Gabby it's probably similar, the ability to help other people to get those choices is a drug, right? And, and you just, it, it's something that once you start seeing you're helping people and you start seeing them getting those choices and getting ahead, you're going, wow, that was, it's inspiring, right? And that's, and I guess that's what it is. And as, as much as people like, you know, Dean Graciosi and, and um, you know, um, John Gianni and, and these sort of guys that I, I spend a bit of time with are, are, can be inspiring, the people that you can help that, you, that, that really grab onto your information and they run with it and you see them buy good properties and you see them make good money and you see them make good deals and they come back and say, hey, look at this deal I got. That inspires me, right? And and I love it. I just I just love that. So, you know, I, I guess our goal is to help people generate wealth through property, and that that is honestly what we try to do. And that's that's really what it boils down to. Awesome, man. Yeah, awesome. I made a really 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 appreciated this, and as I say, I, I genuinely Thank you. thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, I I know that this episode is going to go uh, extremely well because. Uh, uh, there's so much gold in here. We covered so much ground, and I just want to say, again say a deep and a deep and meaningful thanks because it's been very valuable to me personally. No, look, it's it's my pleasure, my pleasure. It's uh, I just love again. I just love sharing. I love um I love what you guys are doing. You know, the Investor Lab is is incredible. I think you know it's um again it, it it's it's on a larger scale of what even what I'm doing because you know and, and I and I really love the fact that you open up and say hey. You want to learn about any aspect of investing? Here's where to be, and I tell you what: if if you're not if you're not in there, you're missing out big time. Because seriously, it's you know where you, getting that support and help. It doesn't have to necessarily. It can be in any area or any avenue, and personal growth. Anything is the support is amazing, and I think that's important. Um, so yeah, kudos to you. I reckon it's awesome. It's awesome. I couldn't ask. I could not ask for a, for a better referral than that. That's amazing. <laughs> exactly. That's <all> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Lindsay, thanks again. And what we'll do is we'll chuck in the show notes. We'll have links to Star Dynamic if people want to go get in contact with you direct. And if you want to learn more about uh, uh, how to do this kind of stuff as well, as we said, jump into the Investor Lab. Lindsay, thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thanks, Goose.